Hey, this is Todd Stacy and Mary Sell, and welcome to In the Weeds with Alabama Daily News. We are very pleased to have a special guest on the podcast this week. As promised, we promised to have interesting and influential guests join us to, to go into detail about the various things involved in policy and politics in Alabama. Uh, Mary, would you do the honors of introducing our guest? Sure. You asked me to find a, a good guest this week, and my first thought was Senator Arthur Orr. Um, not only is he one of um, my longest-running sources in the State House, <clears throat> but also as we look to the next session, there's going to be a lot of discussions about money, a lot of money in a lot of different pots. And so we were hoping that Senator Orr could could walk us through the situation. It's a very unique situation that the state's looking at in the upcoming session and talk about some of the, the initial planning for not only a record amount of revenue in the ETF and, and general fund, but the ARPA funds, the remaining ARPA funds. So Senator Orr, welcome to In the Weeds. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Mary and Todd. Uh, good to be with you all. I don't know if I can live up to that uh... <laughs> <laughs> Very <laughs> generous and kind uh, billing, but uh, glad to talk with you about policy in our state today. Appreciate that. And so just big picture, Senator, you are you are entering your fifth term, correct? Yeah. Fifth oh, term. Come on, Mary. Let's not, <laughs> well, uh, no, I'm, I'm just setting up. You're, I'm, you're I'm making me to... out to be a dinosaur or a fossil. <laughs> I, I'm going to be up there with Jabbo Wagner before long. So. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm trying to set up a little context. Yes, I've that... been there a while. Uh, this is, yes, beginning the fifth term. So this would be my 17th legislative session that will be starting here in the year 2023. Okay. And I, I say that. To to go back, you were the your education chairman, budget chairman. Now you were the general fund chairman uh, starting in 2010 in in the the really tough years. That's that's correct. I had an exchange with the speaker uh, Ledbetter the other day, and uh, we were talking about the tax cuts, and I told him I expected those to be uh, coming from the education uh, budget and not the general fund. And he said, I'm going to remember that. And I said, mm -hmm. oh, no, uh, not a not a problem. I've got a real sympathy for the general fund budget and the challenges that it has. Now, we've made a lot of headway in providing for the general fund budget through Internet sales taxes and other means. But um, boy, back in those uh, 2011, 12, 13 years, it was uh, tough going. And mm -hmm. you're going to see that I, th I think the last legacy of the Great Recession, where I, the, I think the general fund budget chairs, uh, Senator Albritton and um, Representative Reynolds are thinking to pay off the Alabama Trust Fund indebtedness, which is around $60 million that has yet mm -hmm. to be paid. Now, they could pay it over time uh, for the next several years, which is allowed under the statute, or they could pay it uh, lump sum. And I think that's something they're considering. And when that mm -hmm. came up the other day, I said, oops, I'm, I think you, you look across the table, I'm the one responsible for that. <laughs> and I think it was 2015 when we just uh, didn't have enough money for the general fund to uh, provide the services for the citizens of Alabama. Right, right. And the, the state, um, well, and voters, was that voter approved? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Voters approved um, um, borrowing from the Alabama trust fund just to get through those lean years. So so given that history, talk to us a little bit about the situation you're looking at right now and the, the ETF uh, uh, possible surplus of more than two billion dollars. That's yes, that's correct. And we are in somewhat uncharted territory with uh, such a, a surplus. But what I have to keep reminding people is it is uh, one term, one time and not a continuing revenue stream. So we need to treat it like that and not uh, budget expenses that are recurring uh, that we won't be able to support in the future years. Now, we'll have some of that just based on ordinary growth and predictable growth. But this one time uh, lump sum that we do have, um, we just need to continue to treat it as such and not um, go crazy with uh, long-term commitments that over time we would not be able to fulfill. Hmm. Well, uh, I guess part of that conversation about surplus is about this idea of a tax rebate. Some people want a long-term tax cut, a permanent tax cut. But as you just said, you're talking about, you know, a, a short-term, a temporary revenue surplus and, and, a, and a permanent tax cut would, uh, I keep getting reminded of the Jimmy Buffett song, you know, a, a permanent reminder of a temporary feeling, you know, it's like, <laughs> if you, we might, we may regret it one day. Um, so people are talking about a rebate. You've talked about a tax rebate. Uh, I was actually just talking with um, Commissioner Barnett, Revenue Commissioner Barnett about like, what, have we ever done this before? Like what, what would a, re a rebate look like have we done this before and 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 do we know what that would entail i'm certainly not in in my legislative experience we have not and you know as far as my recollection of legislative history even before me i'm not familiar with such and may have been done somewhere but i'm not familiar with that and so you, you hit the nail on the head todd because this is a one-time phenomenon is that's how we need to treat it and then a rebate would be a one-time uh, return to the taxpayers of money that they have paid in. The questions and, and, and areas of, of debate will come, okay, what is your universe of recipients? Who are those people? And then the question is also, how much uh, should they receive of the $2 billion plus surplus? So, you know, I've, in my mind, and I'm one of uh, many, obviously, legislators, and then, of course, the governor uh, will play into that. In my mind, Todd, for rebates, I'm in the neighborhood of $500 million. Uh, it may be more, it may be a le little less, not, not much less, but somewhere in that neighborhood. And then if you back that out, okay, what? how would you rebate $500 million if you did a universe of all filers uh, everybody who filed a, a return for 2022 uh, tax year, then um, you're looking at around that $500 million uh, range. And that would mean $200 an individual, $400 for Mary filing jointly. Hmm. So that, that kind of that in that range, if you did only those who paid into and had a true tax liability where they really stroked a check, they didn't just file a return. Um, the cost is less, uh, it's about 400 million, but uh, you know, I think 
you know, that that would be you know, something that we would certainly consider. And there are those legislators in casual conversations say, you know, only those that paid should get a rebate. Then on the other end of the extreme, you would have those who would say, well, wait, everybody pays sales taxes. Everybody, you know, pays mm -hmm. into the system with, you know, license fees or whatever. So therefore they should uh, be recipients of this uh, windfall. And so, you know, there'll be a push and struggle about defining that universe. And then uh, once you've defined it, how much can we afford to uh, pay them? And I think Governor Ivey said the other day, she wanted something that's meaningful. So that's another uh, kind of strong concern. It's got to be uh, definitely uh, more than $58 uh, per person or something. We need to be in the hundreds uh, per person. So uh, that's something, you know, we'll just have to grapple with in the weeks ahead. So a little, a little Goldilocks situation, you know, too hot, too cold, just right. Uh, so you got to, you got to settle on just right. That That's correct. And, and it'll take uh, 90 days from the passage of a, of a bill uh, to process, and we'd like to send you know checks out to the citizens of Alabama uh, via the mail, and uh, so you know, to to understand this this money really comes from the state treasury, and uh, you know we, we think we need to send it back to those who put it there in the first place, and so if we try to jump into the next fiscal year, the fiscal year 24 come October 1, that becomes a little problematic. So we need to kind of come to a conclusion early and not look at a last day of the session type legislation if we if we can avoid that. Do you plan on filing something um, early in the session then? I, I assume that you will be filing this bill. Yes, uh, I would plan on it. I plan on filing, um, you, you know, move from rebates to tax uh, cuts, I, I will be filing, uh, I guess, a, a 2.0 version of the defined contribution tax exemption. So that's for everyone that has a 401k that's not a Roth or an IRA that's not a Roth they, that uh, they would have to pay taxes on when they withdrew the funds from those uh, financial vehicles. Uh, moving our $6,000 exemption that I worked on with uh, representative, former Representative Lynn Greer uh, in 2022, moving that to $10,000. And um, we'll probably pause after that, but uh, making that first 10,000 worth of withdrawals from defined contribution plans tax exempt, because we know that those on the defined benefit, such as our uh, RSA or employees or federal employees or uh, General Motors uh, pensioner, uh, they don't pay taxes on uh, money they withdraw. Now, they did uh, pay it when they put it in, uh, but not when they withdraw. So trying to equalize things just a little bit um, with our defined contribution population. Now, Senator, just so you know, we'll be happy to proofread that bill for you before you file it, you know, <laughs> it, it, it spell check that kind of stuff you know it, it's uh uh just just kidding we like scoops <laughs> we do we do um let me pivot to a, a different pool of money a different different pot of money the the arpa funds um the state has still more than more than a, a billion dollars in federal arpa funds to to allocate in the upcoming year what are the early conversations on that priority, Senator? And do you, is this something that we're going to 
doing a special session like like you did last year or what what's your feeling yeah. on that? So I, yeah, I would say that uh, right now um, there's a little bit of Washington DC induced uh, confusion and, and I'll say that in a negative way. But until the omnibus passed in late December, that you know the big motherload bill that um, they passed, right? I believe before Christmas, um, before that bill uh, was passed and signed into law, as you all recall, the ARPA definition for expenditures was very narrow, and that's what put us towards hospital or healthcare in institutions related to. COVID, then the water and sewer grants, and then the broadband expansion that we did uh, back in 2022. When the omnibus passed, they that definitional change uh, allowed any expenditure that could be expended under this community development block grant program, the CDBG uh, program that our cities and counties are so familiar with. And so that brought expanded the scope extensively. So now when we thought because of the narrow scope, we, we didn't have many options. Now we got a lot of options mm -hmm. on how that money can be spent um, in the in a special session. And I would say, Mary, I would envision a special session in the regular session probably will not happen the first week uh, that we go in in March. I believe it'll be somewhere in the regular session in that context in the first half of it. And it'll just take a while for legislative leaders and the governor to come together and kind of hammer out a framework that's all agreed. And we telegraph uh, notice to members that we want to try to handle this perhaps in five calendar days, you know, Monday through Friday. Um, and, and that members have more or less uh, consented to the ARPA legislation before we get going in a special session. So does mm. that, that expanded definition, I, I guess that's a good thing and, and a challenge. I mean, expanded means you can put that money towards more, more uses, but it also means deciding those uses and making some. Oh, that's right. Uh, you know, so, you know, it was, it was one thing when, uh, you know, you got a limited broadband and sewer grants coming out of ADEM, but now that, uh, you know, with CDBG money, you're talking parks and other expenditures that can be made, um, within the definitions of the CDBG program. Um, so that has, uh, created more, uh, like you said, more more good problems to have. But uh, again, whenever there's money involved, Mary and Todd, as you know, uh, people, uh, it's like a tug of, ro tug of rope. They kind of push and pull a little bit uh, back and forth on what where we wind up is uh, to be determined. Yeah, yeah. There will be a lot of folks uh, eager for to, to at least uh, uh, apply for some of that money or, or get, get in the door. Um, Senator, if I could switch gears here, I wanted to ask you about school choice. This is sort of the buzzword these days, um, or the buzz phrase. I think we're actually in school choice week, so maybe that's why we're seeing a lot more buzz about it. But even before that, during the election, had a lot of lawmakers, statewide officials, uh, the governor herself, the lieutenant governor, all talking about you know school choice, expanded options for school choice. And we've talked a lot about this on the podcast and on Capitol Journal about, you know, people 
I think people sometimes mean different things when, when they say school choice. They don't all maybe mean the same thing. But I wanted to ask you about it because ultimately, if it involves money, it's going to come to your committee. And, it, you know, you, you're hearing people talk about an Arizona type law. And I think Florida's now done the same thing. And Iowa's done the same thing where it would allow parents essentially to keep a portion of their tax money and and take you know send their child to a school of their choosing whether that's private a public charter or a, another school district maybe that obviously impacts the education trust fund and we saw that bill from senator marsh come last year but it really kind of died it really it, it, nobody thought that was going to pass do you see something like because surely there's somebody's going to propose that do you see that gaining steam is that sort of model something you see as viable in the legislature or is it too early to say well your 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 question is astute in that you you talked about or alluded to todd the, the what is school choice and i, I don't want to be insulting to the listeners but there are a lot of different models out there and so it, it it's fundamental to kind of center upon a definition of what the objective is when you're talking about school choice. Are you really talking about a voucher program? Mm -hmm. And even if you are, what are the rules that come with that voucher? In other words, let's say you have a disabled child um, in a you know very difficult situation, wheelchair bound, needs a full-time aid all the, all the while. And they're in school, transportation issues, you know, all those things. Well, we hand that child's parents a voucher and they want to go to the private school and the private school that's receiving vouchers says, oh, no, we don't we don't have the capability to take a child like that. Mm -hmm. What happens? Uh, does that child get two or three vouchers because of the additional cost? I mean, they're just I, I say that just as an example. There, there are a lot of issues that would have to be ironed out. I, I know that there is the motivation to look and I, and I believe I cannot speak for her, but I believe uh, Governor Ivey is um, of, of similar mindset to look at the charter school law and see if they're not changed, not to throw it out or, or discontinue charter charter schools, but to look at that law and see what changes can be made. I, I don't know that we're um, overly satisfied of where charter schools are today in Alabama. Mm -hmm. um, and, and would it reconstituting the board or making some changes, would that you know be means for improvement? The other thing is, you look at the um, Accountability Act. You mentioned Senator Marsh, that he was so instrumental in uh, pushing through uh, back in the early part of the last decade and how that law, you know, with the scholarships to private schools for children coming from failing schools. But as you, you'll recall, over, over the amount of 75 percent, uh, if the first 75% is reserved for children in, in failing schools, but then after that, um, the money, it is means tested, is available to anyone. You don't have to be in a failing school. And um, my understanding is we're not, for, for those in failing school districts, we're not even hitting that 
cap, which is opening up other uh, this other money for children not in failing school districts. So I say all that to say, you know, we do have some forms of school choice here. Now, you know, members and the public want to take that farther, then you know, we'll certainly have that conversation and debate um, in, in this 23 legislative session because I am hearing more about this issue than I can recall in any other session. So it seems to be prime for a, you know, a, a full discussion on the where we want to go from here. Yeah. And I know I know you've got to go, but while I've got you, I wanted to ask you about another issue when it comes to education. That's more in the policy realm beyond school choice. You passed the Numeracy Act, I guess, it was it last session or 21? Oh, it was um, in it 2022. Yeah, last session. Um, that was kind, It's kind of a, a sister law to, to literacy, but it does a lot of different things. It hasn't been that long. Um, so, number one, are you... Are you getting feedback from the ground, so to speak, from either the department or from from teachers and administrators on the ground that that law is is working as intended, at least up to now? And do you expect um, this session for there to be more financial resources dedicated to numeracy and literacy? Those two um, obvious um, priorities for you and the governor. Answering the second part first, yes, uh, we will, and and we, you know, Chairman Garrett and myself, and of course members have uh, made the commitment to the Literacy Act and the Numeracy Act financially that those are of utmost uh, priority to put our money where our mouths were or where our votes were, um, and and make sure that they have adequate funding. As far as the timing on the Numeracy Act, I would have preferred some things to move along more rapidly, but um, it it seems even here in the month of January, things have been moving uh, more quickly since the first of this month, and I appreciate uh, Superintendent Mackey now moving things along at a clip because come August, uh, we're going to have to be ready for the first uh, round of coaches and have those coaches trained prior to then. So a lot's going to need to happen in the in the coming months, and he's certainly aware of that. One other thing that when you talk about commitments, I hope my in, to numeracy and literacy, I hope the colleagues will uh, get behind uh, this initiative to train and prepare um, principals and uh, the and, and hopefully add some incentive pay to that. Oh and yeah, so that's we, that's your bill. We should we should mention that. That's well, your, that's all, <laughs> I don't want to uh, filibuster you, but uh, <laughs> so you know I think that's important uh, for us to 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 get going. You know the principals are vitally important for the success of any school, and uh, you can you know I've heard had it said you know you can have good teachers you know here and there and. We certainly appreciate them, but a principal can really raise the bar for a whole school or not. So if you have a principal and many of them are forced into the fray just because they happen to be a good classroom teacher, but they have not been trained in management skills of adults and other, you know, they're we're former colleagues as teachers and um, all the situations regarding students and, and the problems and issues and dealing with parents and then the central office. Um, we need to do a better job preparing them because I do think over time it will raise the bar and the uh, outputs uh, from our schools. And meeting with, you know, in 
discussions with Chairman Garrett. I mean, we've got other uh, things we're, we're thinking about uh, that are important, but uh, to be determined what, if anything, will make it on paper in a bill form. But uh, we, we've got a lot of uh, things we can do. Fortunately, we'll have the money to support uh, for the foreseeable future if we're just um, very conservative like we have been in the budgets in, in years past. And that, of course, has led to some of this uh, surplus that we're uh, recognizing in the upcoming session. Senator, we appreciate your time very much. We've taken up more of it than, than we said we would, but you always have a lot to talk about. <laughs> we, well, thank you. And it's uh, certainly a, a, an honor to you know, be in the Senate and uh, represent the people from up here in North Alabama, but work uh, for a, a better Alabama. And uh, appreciate your role in uh, getting that word out and uh, certainly asking the tough questions of how we expect to get there. Thank you, sir. And thank you thank for you. your time. Have, Thanks, have a great rest of your day. You too. All right. Um, that was a lot. I've got like so, notes for three stories now. <laughs> <laughs> Senator Orr has left the studio, <laughs> as as it were. Um, yeah, that was a lot. It was a lot. Well, uh, he, I think he made some news saying the, that he the special session he expects it to be in the regular, but not right away. Maybe three four weeks into it. Right. And that the, the definition of the definition of the allowable expenses under ARPA, that's I think that is a bit of a, a game changer for for how how they're gonna handle it. I mean, that just seems like it makes the job so much harder because you've got I mean so many worthy causes for Yeah, but C B D G is like and that's a that's a whole just from the just from the congressional standpoint, it is it's it's a really great program, but it's complicated. There are lots of rules, and um, man, but I, I tell you, he's going to have a field day as lobbyists. Yeah, like if, if when they realize that's going on, they probably already have the the, the smart ones already have, um, you know, go, making their pitches. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, now you can if if you're a community, you can go and you know get your lawmaker and a an advocate to go. But yeah, so I, I think that is news, um, and that's probably why we're not going to see the the bill early in in the session because um, I, and I think we we hit on this last week. There's a lot of new lawmakers learning learning the process, but but also I mean we there's not an ARPA bill yet, I, right? I and, the, and, the, and if they're if they're waiting through this change, that's significant. Well, in the minute they come with the minute it is it appears that one lawmaker or one area of the state has gotten a goodie um in that in that bill then it, it everybody else is going to want to come for that so i'm curious how they go about arpa both with the cares act and arpa one they pretty much left it up to agencies right they yeah. there were some line items but it was mostly okay this is for a deca to go and do broadband right. this is for hospitals ADM. hospitals yeah. figured out their distribution right. needs which look that's the way it should work unless there's a very specific need and i think i think the arpa one has worked i mean there's a lot more need than there's enough money for but you see you get into these specifics all right are you gonna say okay deca you handle cbdg <laughs> And, right. and have fun because that, but at least it takes it away from the legislature. Um, and that brings a whole different sort of set of um, 
factors into play. I mean, the, the old way of doing business of, of what they call it pass through pork, mm-hmm. which is okay. We're going to pass a budget. I'm going to vote to give this money to a DECA. And by the way, a DECA, you're going to give this money to my district. The un, unspoken understanding caused a lot of um, political problems uh, back in the day. But anyway, yeah. Inter- but I also thought is um, comments on school choice were really interesting because, you know, you heard him say, you know, about the impact of the budget. I mean, he, you tell me if I'm wrong, but my my perception was that he's a little leery of vouchers and and that whole take your money across the street sort of thing. Right, right. It, because I think when when you start talking about state state money or state, uh, you know, state state funded money there there are some some questions about what the the definitions and and who can be turned away from certain institutions and what you require of of those institutions that receive that money and we saw some pushback on Senator Marsh's bill that that very first I mean obviously the whole thing died but that very first version was going to require a little more accountability on some of those private schools. And there was significant pushback on that. From the private schools? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And also, and it, part of the way this is lining up is like, you know, in in theory, okay, you get the money, you get your tax money, you can go anywhere you want, private, public, public charter, wherever. Well, you know, I think a lot of Democrats would be more open to this proposal if you could truly take that money and go to any school district. Mm-hmm. But you know, a lot of people are going to have problems with that because, you know, you in, in Alabama, you have these enclaves that have set them, you know, we, we right. set these boundaries for a reason. We raised our own taxes locally for a reason just to, yeah. to have our, to have good schools and just to, to, completely break down that barrier, they, they, they would probably have a, a problem with that. Yeah. As um, we've been doing these uh, new member profiles, I'm talking to, 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 to new lawmakers and some of them that have good school systems. Um, they are the ones I've been talking to. They're, they're very aware of, of the, the plate and, and the desire for families to have options to, to go to better schools, but they also very carefully want to protect their school systems right. and, and have something. So if all of a sudden there is an influx of students at these school systems that, that have raised their own taxes, that have been, have been, you know, providing top rate educations, what, what's going to protect them from all of a sudden having hundreds of students, or if they do, hundreds more students, if they do, you know, what resources will they have to be able to serve those students as they have served their previous students? Right. So. Because just because you brought the state money, doesn't mean the, the local money is increasing. Right. And so, and I, and I get that. Uh, that's why it's just, it's a hugely complicated issue. Not one that it's just like, yay, school choice. Let's, let's do it. It's, it's, it's complicated. And, but you, you also heard him quickly pivot to, to charter schools because I think, that's something that what he said I'm hearing more and more is that, yes, we legalized this, you know, almost a decade, decade ago and with the expectation that it would have grown 
more mm-hmm. than it than it hasn't. And there's you know there there are still some legal and financial barriers to um, the proliferation of charter schools. So I'm, I'm curious how that goes, especially in the funding realm. And if, if this idea of um, conversion charters catches on, we've got this going on in Montgomery where it's not a new school coming to town. It is right. an existing school being turned around in a charter model, which I think might be more appealing to some school systems out there who, who don't, who, who for, for whatever reason, see a public charter as competition. So anyway, I, a, a, a very good choice. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. It, a very, a very good guest. Um, Schultz, yeah, I did good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, while we've got just a little bit of time, what else is going on out there? You, you've got several stories out there this week. What's, what's next? Well, um, we saw it wasn't it wasn't our story, but we had an Associated Press story about the the health centers, the 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 new mental health crisis center that opened up in Jefferson County or is, is, I guess, fixing to open up. They had the ribbon cutting, um, the Jefferson County uh, Mental Health Center. Um, you know, speaking of, of changes in the last decade, and I think you, you said this in a text the other day, if if you had, someone had told you a few years ago, we'd be opening up crisis centers, you wouldn't have believed it. Well, yeah, because that, because when I started working in the legislature, and even before that, it was nothing but cuts to mental health. Mm-hmm. It was like, the redheaded stepchild of government that, you know, nobody was really, not a lot of people at least were really advocating for. And it was just when, when the budgets went down, it was easy to cut it for some reason. And now it's completely turned around. People are eager to fund it. And maybe, maybe those things are, are intertwined. I've been reading about this on, on the national level. We cut funding to mental health. We closed down hospitals. We closed down centers. Suddenly there's a, a, a lot bigger problem of mental health, you know, in the community. And right. so I mean, we, we no cut, government reacts to it. Yeah. Right. I mean, we cut those, those centers. I mean, I remember governor Bentley in, in 2012, um, you know, when they were, they were making those cuts and it, part of it was, part of it was budget related, but part of it was also federally driven that, that there were these federal mandates that sure to keep people in their communities and not institutionalize them. Um, as best you could. And and the promise that was made back in 2012 is we were going to put them in these community centers and fund these community centers and they'd, they'd be in these small group settings. But I think if you just follow the numbers, what happened is those were not funded um, to, to, to the need. Um, and I also think there's a lot broader conversation now about mental health and about substance abuse and that 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 substance abuse conversation, to my recollection, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but the substance abuse um, conversation was was not a big part of it in 2010. So yeah, now we're we're th- those two things are very much related. These new centers and and the cuts made 10 years ago, um, but but yeah, I mean we're we're the state is working very hard to to try to fill that gap now with these short-term centers. Yeah. Six of them across the state now. I mean, just this amazing progress. Um, so kudos to the department of mental health, also to the legislature and, and shout out to Nathaniel Lobetter, now the new speaker, but he's been advocating on this really since he got to town. Right. Um, and so, you know, one of those areas, it's really nice to see progress in. It is. Uh, what else? 
Um, we still we're doing our new member profiles. We had a, a few more up this week. Uh, nice profile on Representative uh, Troy Stubbs, the new lawmaker from from Elmore yeah. County, uh, and he he had some interesting things to say. I just I'm, I'm wrapping up a new profile on Senator Jay Hovey. I was very excited to, to talk to him after he had one of the the most interesting races of the 2022 cycle. So yeah, no we'll kidding. probably have that story up uh, early next week for everybody, but it was a good conversation. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to read that one. Uh, yeah. I mean, you win by one vote, then they, they, they try to take it away from you. And then <laughs> it was, uh, then it's it funny. Yeah. He's cause he's a very, uh, when you talk to him, he's a very, uh, um, deliberative speaker, you know, we, that, that whole situation was wild, pretty wild and drama filled. And I don't think that's the, that's representative of who, who he is or what we're going to see from him in yeah. the legislature, but it was good to get to talk to him. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, the, of course we can't ignore the other story of a former lawmaker, uh, back in the news this week, uh, Perry Hooper. Yep. And it, so, Listeners will find it interesting. I think you texted me at like, I don't know, that that evening, the evening before, and, and you were like, something Perry Hooper's followed suit. I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to go look. I'm just, I got to go to bed. And, and <laughs> I trust Mary, of course, you know. So yeah, I get up and there's this brand new story about um, Perry, Hooper, Perry Hooper suing the city of Montgomery and the police chief. Yes. Um, basically... Um, he is he is saying that th his his arrest in July was you know, motivated by his political enemies. He's linking it to his support for President Trump. You know, Perry Hooper was was out front um, as a Trump supporter and and helped on that helped in Alabama on Trump's. Trump's initial efforts in 20, I guess it would have been 2015. Um, so and and Hooper is also alleging in his lawsuit that this the um, police department will not turn over their records on him his, his the file on his arrest and uh, so he is suing suing the city suing the police chief and we will see what happens. Yeah, I it's, it, we should mention it's Tommy Gallion who is his attorney here, not Joe Espy who who he hired to defend him. Yeah. Um, after being charged with sexual abuse. And we'll uh, remember they, that that charge was basically the the um, alleged the, victim said she didn't want to move forward with it. And so the so, DA so they dro yeah. basically dropped it. There's a, yeah. fancy, there's a fancy lawyer word for it, but yeah, basically dropped right. it. And so that's why this is a little bit surprising and, and, and frankly why it's news is because um, we all thought that was the end, the of, end the of the story, it. right? Okay. Right. Uh, he, he gives a public apology. That's what the victim wanted. Uh, we don't know whether there was some kind of financial settlement. I mean, it wouldn't surprise anybody, I don't think, but, um, but, it, but at least publicly we got an apology in which he said, I'm wrong. I really, I'm yeah. sorry. My behavior was inappropriate and, and all right. this. And, and now so, in, in the lawsuit, he says that if you watch the the video, which has never been made public, but the video of the alleged incident, he's he's in the lawsuit. He says it's quote unquote laughable. 
um, and it was a, a two second exchange. So, mm. but but so I guess that we, one reason why it's surprising is if you if you do a public apology, you get the charges dropped. Number one, mm -hmm. and also the story goes away. Right? Yeah, that, just that that was it. We would never go home, another don't talk word. about it anymore. Right. <laughs> but now you know. Now there's more stories, more pictures of his mugshot. We chose not to run a mugshot picture. It's been enough of that out there. But like, yeah, that's that's confusing to me. Now look, maybe he has some. He uh, maybe he has a case, and he's yeah. you know he can win or something. But in my in my opinion, like he better. Otherwise, it's just you're reminding people of all right. this, right? Yeah. And so it's just, yeah. It's yeah I saw confusing. after we posted the story, like some people were like, why would, why wouldn't you just take your win and go home and never talk about this ever again? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not pressing charges. That seems like, seems like a win. Uh, maybe we can get our hands on that video. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's kind of, seems like fair game if he's bringing it up, but um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Um Anyway, it's it's kind of interesting, Mary. I I have this long professional history of any time I go on vacation, something big happens at work. I mean, going back to like uh, like 2013, mm -hmm. I, I I I'm kind of loath to take a whole lot of time off because I'm so anxious about work, and I I, I went on this trip with my brother. <laughs> And, and because sure it leaves me in charge of the website. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is when I was working in Congress and. I go on a trip with my brother and Ted Cruz shuts down the government yeah. and it's like, uh, I mean, it was like a big yeah. event. And, um, anyway, and, and I'm just, it's happened several times. And, um, so this, the, the Perry Hipper thing is, yeah, I finally took a vacation yeah. went down to Florida, uh, with some friends and sure enough, the, you know, the Perry Hipper arrest happens. It's like, Oh goodness. Yeah. Yep. I can't. So, if we if we ever get into a slow news week, just tell me to you take, take some a time vacation. Off yeah, something will stir up. Yeah, we'll try to like annex the Florida Panhandle or something. <laughs> oh yeah, it'll <laughs> it'll be in the courts for years. Our, our <laughs> National Guard can handle their National Guard. Um, well, let me just plug what we've got coming up on Capital Journal this week. Uh, so we've got you know, our show airs on Alabama Public Television. Uh, 7.30 on Fridays and Sundays at noon. Those are the two chances you can watch on broadcast. Of course, it's always online at aptv.org. But good little show this week. You know, last show we had some heavy hitters. We had <laughs> yeah. the, the governor, the attorney general, and the president, president pro tem of the Senate. So right. hard to get a lot more powerful than that, um, which is great. But this is a little bit of a different week because the legislature is not really in town. Uh, so I mentioned Vernon Barnett. So mm -hmm. Commissioner Barnett, Commissioner of Revenue, and it'll be uh, folks will find it interesting to pair our conversation with the one we just had with Senator Ooh. Orr about these tax rebates. And I'll preview it by saying this: you you know how Senator Orr was saying he'd like checks to be in the mail. Yeah. Well, what Barnett is saying is that he wants to to do it um, just like your tax return or tax um, refund. And I think a lot of that happens via direct deposit electronically. Mm -hmm. So that may be some, there may be some friction on that as, hmm. as legislation goes forward, but, but it being tax season, it's a good time to have a conversation with the commissioner about things yeah. in that world. Um, also, Greg yeah, his Cochran, job, he, he's got one of those jobs where like, you don't always 
hear from him, but it's such an important job. And that if, if, if something goes wrong, you definitely. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you, if you're a governor's administration, you kind of want the revenue commissioner not to be in the news, right? right? Like you don't, you don't want, you don't really want, but I, you know, there's not really a whole lot of negative stuff going on um, with the, the department. There's some sure. changes to tax law that we talked about, um, you know, th things like that. Um, so, so an interesting conversation for sure. Also talked with Greg Cochran, you know, he's with the Alabama League of Municipalities. I know. They're gearing, yeah, yeah, they're gearing up for the session and, you know, they represent all the cities. And we talked about what that means in terms of bringing that agenda to the legislature um, and, and their progress. And also Mark Colson. Mark is the president of the Alabama Trucking Association. He had an op-ed in today's Daily News about the role the trucking industry plays in trying to prevent human trafficking. Hmm. Human, yeah, yeah, that was a good column. Yeah. That was yeah. And so, um, well, and and so there's actually a summit going on right now, human trafficking uh, summit in Alabama and Montgomery, and so we'll talk about you know that issue and other issues as it pertains to trucking. So uh, a different <laughs> sort of vibe to this episode, but 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 very good. So please watch. I will. <laughs> I watch every I, I'm one of the I watch I watch every morning Monday mornings that's the first thing on my my Monday morning to-do list to, I watch online it's funny the feedback you get because obviously it comes on Friday night but I think we don't have ex exact ratings on this I, I bet more more or as many people watch on Sundays as kind of like a meet the press sort of traditional right. Sunday shows and then, yeah, in the email, we, you know, we put up the YouTube link and, and people watch that way. But however you watch, it's fine with me. It's a good, good way to keep up with what's going on. Exactly. All right. I guess that's it for this week. In the weeds, we'll, we'll try to get a, more of these interesting and influential guests. And um, with that, thanks, Mary. And we'll talk to everybody soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs>